From the world of AV programming and control with James King, I'm Steve Greenblatt, and this is Ask the Programmer. James, we're back and we have a special guest today, so this is going to be a great conversation. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great, and I'm looking forward to hear what our guest has to say. I've connected with him before and a very knowledgeable guy. Excellent. And so without further ado, um, I'll introduce a, a, a old friend, somebody that who I've known for quite some time um, and who's also worn a lot of hats in the industry um, and can shed a lot of light on our conversation today. And he, he is Patrick Murray. Uh, Patrick, why don't you uh, uh, first hello and welcome to our show. And uh, why don't you give uh, our audience a little bit of taste about your background? Thanks, Steve. Um... Great to be on the show. And we've talked about this stuff so many times. Uh, uh, my first job as a programmer was for Control Concepts. <laughs> what was that, 20 years ago? Uh, about, yeah. Yeah, and I was uh, working as a tech um, for I'd say the previous five years before then in AV and, and things like that. And uh, 2005, became an independent programmer and, um, and did the AMX Crestron, did some Extron training and reached pretty high levels with all of their training. And uh, when one of the more popular manufacturers decided to start using a more standardized programming language, I dove into that head first. And after a while realized, hey, this is normal programming. And I'm not just an AV programmer anymore. I could learn these tools and use them. And at that point, I wrote an iOS app to control AV systems. And it was a challenge, but I got it working. And after that, it just kind of snowballed. And here we are today where we don't use, my company doesn't use those proprietary control platforms at all anymore. Um, we use AV devices that have an API, make an HTML5, a web interface, and we've developed our own control software to integrate all the devices in the Navy system. Thank you for that. And that, that's, that's pretty exciting. And, and one of the reasons that we wanted to have this conversation was to shed some light on the idea that uh, in at our current time, and uh, you know, people might be listening to this in the future, but, but we're in uh, 2022 right now. And uh, there, there's definitely difficulties getting hardware and, and we're seeing a trend to look at alternatives to try to close that gap and try to figure out how how do we continue moving forward delivering AV solutions even though the hardware that we've grown accustomed to and dependent on may not be readily available. Um, so what we wanted to talk about today was how we can look at software alternatives to hardware is really where, um, where, where we wanted to go with this conversation. So um, I guess with that, um, let, let's talk a little bit about that the viability of it. And I'm, I'm going to bring James in, kind of wearing two different hats here, you know, from a programmer standpoint and also from a, a technology manager standpoint. Um, is this something that people are receptive to? Is to, like, what, where where do we stand in the industry these days? So I, I think where we stand is we're in the unknown because you have the old guards who say, oh no, you have to use, you know, one of the three big manufacturers and you have your old guards who are the old programmers who they know it, it's their 
bread and butter. They love it and they want to stick to it. But then you have this newer generation or more people who I would say are more um, software de uh, developers instead of AV programmers who are trying to flood, not for the market, but uh, to get into the market of AV programming and provide that more of a software, normal computer language programming, but um, you still have the old guards pushing against that. So, so you know, from, from uh, and we've discussed this quite a bit on our show over many different episodes, and we've touched on modern programming languages, and we've touched on um, different ways programmers could can expand their offerings. Um, Patrick, uh, when you're, so, so what you created was based to, out of a need and out of an opportunity to solve some problems that you, your clients were facing, which is really what makes this so interesting and, and so viable. Um, I know that part of this is changing people's mindset and getting people to, to think differently. Can you give a little bit of a of of a unbiased breakdown as to you know what what it, what does it look like pros and cons for look coming up with uh, a, a more software based solution? Yeah, in, in the end, these are always business decisions, right? And every organization will have a different set of pros and cons that they'll look at to make that decision. So if you're a technology owner. Those that benefit cost analysis is going to be different than if you're a systems integrator. Um, and I perfectly understand it's, it's a lot of work to learn something new. Um, I do think we get a little blindsided in our decision-making because we're so familiar with the tools that we've been using for so long that there's just this belief that that is the only right way to do it. And what, what is really happening there is that we have this familiarity and it's going to take a big investment to learn how to code up HTML5, right? There's no WYSIWYG editor to make AV control interfaces with pure HTML and JavaScript and CSS. Um, so that's a big lift. You need to take the time and make that investment. And can your organization support that? Um, and that's, that's just right now. Then you need to look into the future. So if you're an integrator making margin on equipment and that's your business model, then that's your business. But if you wanna to move to more managed services, um, then maybe the hardware is not so interesting and you, you, it does make more sense to learn more services and how to stand up maybe different kinds of monitoring systems instead of saying, Here's a, here's a bomb, here's the equipment that we're gonna sell you and this is what it costs and, and you're in and out. Maybe you have, you focus more on having that long-term monitoring service. Sure, and I, I think you touched on two, two different things that we could explore here um, for, for the audience a little bit, but let's talk about where, where does this live typically? Is this a, something that we're, we're talking about living in the cloud? Are we talking about living in on a server? Um, is it an IT? based solution what just so that we can get clarity so that we, um, our, our audience will, will understand it a little bit better is that to me yes i love this question <laughs> so of course any approach will work but it's got to be the right for your application so if you're a technology owner you know what your environment is and you could decide does it need to be local 
or maybe I need to uh, support a worldwide enterprise and it makes more sense to have it in a cloud or maybe in our own cloud. Those are the decisions that need to be made on a case-by-case -case basis. AV systems integrators pretty much need to be ready for anything, right? That's really been what sets us apart from IT is that we always say yes. Um, there's there's no no internet connection, no problem, right? There's there's no network port on that. We we could have an IR emitter, like we were just talking about before. We'll even learn that IR remote. There doesn't even need to be an API. We always say yes and find a way to make it work. So to have that kind of flexibility, there are a few things that um, that are a requirement, and one of those is to have it local, to not require an internet connection. Um, you can absolutely make a cloud-based system that controls your AV equipment through some kind of gateway that will technically work, no problem. But if you get a project where IT will not cooperate with you, then you're not getting that internet connection unless you know, you're hanging an antenna out the window and doing something like that. So having a local-based processor, I'd say, that doesn't require internet, I'd say, is uh, table stakes for an integrator who needs that kind of flexibility. Um, James, uh, I'll, I'll um, let you kind of comment on on this because it sounds to me, and you know, from from our perspective, uh, Patrick's talking about as I said, you know, the we have the modern programming tools, which which I think we all kind of feel we're heading toward, and it's something that everybody needs to take seriously and invest in, even though it's going to be hard and different. And then we have the fact that now we're looking at standardized equipment that we we could. Um, deploy this on. And as he said, you know, it, you, you pick your, your choice as to how you want to make that happen. Um, it, I know that people get comfortable and confident in what they know, but it would seem to me that this sounds like it's something that should is worthy of consideration and is, and, and really plays into the hand of a, uh, an IT centric organization. Would, would, would you agree with that? So to go what Patrick uh, mentioned, the having the flexibility of you know local, on-prem for corporate or in the cloud is definitely what we all need to be mindful of and choosing the best solution for the client. Just we anything in Navy, you know, you gotta choose the right display, you gotta choose the right control system, you gotta control choose the right programming. Um, IT-centric wise, I, I think we are getting there with the central, especially with the cloud. Um, where I think we are lacking that is more on the security side of things. Um, making sure that, you know, that's what IT is big on. IT is big on security and that's why they got known as the land of no, is because all these security issues. Now, most IT people, uh, departments are not becoming the land of no anymore. They're becoming the let's figure it out. They're not saying yes, like most AV people are like, oh yeah, you want a 80 inch display in a five by five room? Sure, no problem. No, IT is gonna go, let's figure this out. Um, get it on the network. If we have to do a VLAN, if we have to do a isolated network, if we have to do ACLs and firewall, they're more of let's figure it out, the best solution, because they understand they have the same goals as we do, serving our clients, making sure our clients' needs are getting met. Now we are achieving those differently. 
Uh, IT wants to make sure it's secure. AV just wants it to work. Um, security by nature is troublesome. It's hassle. It's dealing with that. But uh, that's why I think there's a big balance there with making sure we are communicating, working with IT, and moving into these common computer languages is going to benefit the security aspect of it because it's already there. You already have software in IT that are following the IT security protocols. So, so it sound, sounds to me like, like it, it would be a natural migration. And I know some of the, uh, the manufacturers are heading in that direction already. Um, uh, let, let's, let's zoom out a little bit, you know, outside of control, are we, are we, do, do we anticipate seeing more um, AV transport, uh, you know, and, and more, uh, more, more hardware products being replaced with software solutions? Uh, James, I'll, I'll let you take that. I, I do see that. Um, I actually wrote about that in my IT and AV column where I, I saw that as a future trend, but a near future trend. Um, you, prime example is a supply chain issue. We are all dealing with it, except for software. Software is not affected by supply chain issue because you can download it. You can get it easily. Um, so I think you're gonna see a lot more leveraging the software. Also the benefit of going to software wise is refresh cycle for a classroom, let's say, you want to average five, seven years on the technology in that space. That's a lot of money to do that, but you, you budget every five, seven years to budget that. Software, whenever there's an update, you got a new system. And that could be uh, weekly, that could be monthly, that could be yearly. Yeah, so, so that kind of goes more into the, the software or AV as a service model too uh, that, that people are longing for. Um, Patrick, uh, as, as we round up this episode, um, what, what are some of the trends that you're seeing or, or what are you hearing from, from people that are, that are considering this, um, this route and, and what, what, what's, what are some of the factors that, that they are wrestling with in order to, to get there? Well, I, I, I've, uh, shepherded or guided a few Sherpaed a few integrators, moving from that one manufacturer, totally proprietary siloed type of a system to being able to pick and choose equipment without having to worry about if it works with the, the programming environment that those monolith type manufacturers offer. And that kind of, for me, gets back to when I started in AV where it, it, it was just based on functionality. You didn't choose a manufacturer because of their name you chose a device because of the feature set and the availability and the price. And those are the engineering um, requirements that we should always be focused on. I think we've lost our way a little bit in, in that kind of an art. And I'm hoping that these supply chain issues bring it back just because we're forced to. Um, as long as the picture gets from here to there and the device has an API, um, then you're just looking for that glue in the middle and it doesn't have to all come from one manufacturer to work. I think I skewed from your question a little bit. Uh, oh, it was, you were talking about what, what trends I'm seeing. So I've, I've seen a manufacturer go through this and they are enjoying the luxury of saying, okay, I can't get this encoder and decoder anymore. 
let me take it from that manufacturer. And so who can deliver? Because we don't care whose name is on it. That's in a rack that the customer never sees. And then using things like HTML5, it's a tablet. So if I can't get my fancy built-in touch panel, then I'll take an iPad or a Galaxy or whatever it is and lock down in kiosk mode. That, that flexibility is, um, they're really enjoying that now. Um, but the first project you do like that is a big lift. You know, it's, it's, it's a change that you need to be ready for. And, and I would guess too, uh, being once you, you, you pick and you're comfortable build with your library of devices that you're supporting, it's going to give you a, a lot more opportunity to leverage it. So as you said, you know, that the, the initial ramp up time may be an investment, but that goes along with anything. It's, it's a standardization process which is what the people who insist on using their old code are, are doing as well, because they have their standards, their pages that look like this, their modules that work like that. Those are really just standards that they've gotten used to. Um, so moving to a, a more open type of a system, you develop your own standards automatically. And it just, it makes business a lot easier because the salesperson knows what he's selling, how it's supposed to work. The tech support also knows exactly how it's supposed to work as well. So those kind of internal standards, I think, are a great results of uh, a more open-based approach. And and I think to, to James' point, and we'll we'll continue this discussion um, in in a future discuss, uh, future episode. But um, the the opportunity to work with people who n- inherently know how to write code in this manner it can be a big benefit, especially for an industry that has always said that they need to. Uh, attract more talent and, and bring more people into this to, to uh, do what we do. Yeah. And then programming companies like yourself, you, you can be a consultant um, where you're consulting on what AV needs and how real software developers or a JavaScript expert who doesn't know about AV, a go-between is needed for that, like um, to manage that project. So that's another opportunity right there. I think that's a good place for us to wrap this one up. Um, I, I uh, thank you for being part of the conversation. I'm sure we're going to see you soon, Patrick, uh, but uh, how can people get in touch with you, learn more about your company, your offerings and so forth? Uh, one thing I didn't mention is that along the way, I've been making courses about how to actually make HTML5 web pages and use these modern programming languages. And that's on a website called learnavprogramming.com. Uh, so you could go there. There's a bunch of free stuff and there's a contact form if you'd like to reach out to me. Otherwise, LinkedIn, all the normal places. Wonderful. Uh, James, uh, any closing thoughts and uh, how can people get in touch with you and uh, keep up with what you're doing? Um, closing thoughts. Again, and I've connected with Patrick. He's doing some pretty cool stuff. So definitely swing by his uh, website, check it out. Um, connect with him. He's a very knowledgeable guy in this field. Uh, also, you can reach me at uh, Twitter, AB underscore James King. LinkedIn, I'm not on it much, but I do use it. I do write the IT and AV column for the Higher Ed Digital Magazine. Anything with PEPMA, Google me, you'll find me. Wonderful. And that 
thank you again, Patrick, for being part of this. And we uh, always enjoy our conversations. Uh, for me, you can reach me at Steve Greenblatt on social media, Twitter and LinkedIn are where I probably spend the most time. Uh, I'm also uh, contribute to uh, AV Network, do some writing there, as well as my company blog at controlconcepts.net. And uh, that's what we have for today. And this has been Ask the Programmer. <laughs>